Hey, bookworms, do I have a deal for you? Right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series is available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. That's fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts. Flight Attendant Joe and I'm Just Here for the Layovers, available on ebook and paperback. And here's a little secret that I don't want you to tell anyone, all right? This is just between us right now. Each ebook is only $2.99. I know, I know. But I did not fall and hit my head. I know exactly what I'm doing. And each one is $2.99 right now. The Flight Attendant Joe series, available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. If you're looking for an inappropriate laugh, I've done all the work for you. All you have to do is sit back, read, and enjoy. If you enjoy listening to the Grounded with Joe Thomas podcast, please consider becoming a patron today. Visit www.patreon.com slash Grounded with Joe Thomas. There's multiple tier levels and each one of them comes with access to the Friday Debrief, which is a short little podcast episode I record on Friday mornings for patrons only. Of course, the podcast is always going to be free on all your podcast apps, but if you want to become a supporter and a patron of the podcast, you can. Just visit www.patreon.com slash grounded with Joe Thomas. Hey guys, Joe Thomas here. Are you like me? All summer long, I've been just anticipating and excited about the idea of traveling again. I just want to get out. I want to do something. I don't, when my husband asks me to go check the mail, I'm excited. Okay. I think just getting out of the house and doing something is the most exciting thing right now. I am so thrilled about the idea of being able to travel again that I'm planning my vacations out until 2025, just so I could look at them on a piece of paper and have something that I can look forward to. If you are right there too, and you're excited about travel, I want you to check out Robert and Edgar from The Getaway Guys. I have known Robert for over a decade, and he is very passionate about getting you the best deal for your vacation. They cater to airline employees, their parents, and airline retirees. And I don't know if you know this, but I am an airline retiree. And I'm going to be checking out their website when it's time for me to book my next vacation. They can get great low interline rates with no booking fee. No booking fee. Ladies and gentlemen, that means all that money that you would have been paying for a booking fee is just cash in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse that you could spend when you're traveling and exploring and having the adventure of a lifetime. And LGBTQ plus travelers, I fall into that category as well. They're authorized sellers of Vakaya, Atlantis, and RSVP vacations. They're a one-stop shop. You could do everything on their website. Hotel, flights, car rentals, vacation packages. I want you to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Getaway Guys Travel, and then go over to their website, thegetawayguys.com, and start looking for your next adventure because they're going to be there ready to book it for you. Again, that's thegetawayguys.com. Check them out now. Please do it. You deserve it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 55 of Grounded with Joe Thomas. On the show today, Jason Dean called in and we chatted a little bit about photography and being introverted and extroverted. Then we moved into the topic of discussion, which was what was it like being raised in Independence, Missouri by evangelical Christian parents? And I wanted to know what goes on behind the closed doors. 
with the homeschooling and what they're taught and what they're told and how they're really pushed to not watch TV and not live in the normal world, reside in the world, but not live it, be waiting for Jesus to come back. We also talked about how he admitted himself into gay conversion therapy in Wichita, Kansas for a year to see if he could become straight. He'll tell that story. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Jason to the show. Right, Jason Dean. Jason Dean's here. Jason, uh, welcome and thank you for coming on Grounded with Joe Thomas. I appreciate it. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> I'm excited. It is very exciting. Like I didn't even know you two weeks ago, and now you're already on the podcast. That's actually very impressive because <laughs> I know people that I haven't had on this show for years, and when I met you. I was like, oh, I hope he comes on my podcast. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart that you are going to come on and share your story with everyone. I appreciate it. Definitely. I'm honored that you asked me. I thought that was pretty neat. Well, um, for, to get a few housekeeping things out of the way first, I do have my office window open because it's really cold inside. So if you, I'm going to try to keep all the noise. I'm going to yell. If I have to yell like, shut up. No, I won't do that. But just so you know, if you hear that, it, I did have to open my office window. But to give listeners a um, like a quick update so they can figure out how we know each other. A couple of weeks ago, we went with a group on a camping trip to Moab and we were practicing social distancing, of course, but you and I got to meet and I think it was on the second night where I just happened to ask you, like, where are you from? And you said something regarding, you know, you moved to, to Wichita and it was, am I correct? And it was because you had gone through like a gay conversion therapy program and my head almost exploded. Right. My head almost exploded. I was like, the universe has dropped Jason Dean in my lap and I cannot <laughs> let him get away. <laughs> so um before so yeah. now that everyone knows how we've met um and that I introduce I, I interview people like I'm Barbara Walters, can you let everyone know like what you do for work and that? Sure. Um so I'm a well of course I'm working from home right now. Which has been nice, but since March, uh, like a lot of other people. Um, but I'm a customer service supervisor for a plumbing fittings company. Um, and so it's been a challenge doing that, supervising a dozen employees while they're all working from home and trying to support them yeah. remotely. But it's been good. Have you nice to stay safe at home. Right. Have you enjoyed being working from home or are you getting itchy about getting back out into the real world and seeing people again? No, I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I like it too. <laughs> I think I could probably stay this way for an indefinite amount of time anyway. Um, I like the silence, which is strange, but I, I get so much more done. <laughs> right, right. Do you consider yeah. yourself to be an introverted type of personality? So I read something uh, a few years ago that a word I had never heard was ambivert. And I was so interested in it because I've never felt like I was a true introvert, but I don't feel like an extrovert either because I get very nervous in social situations, especially if I'm not familiar with um, the people, if it's 
you know, a new crowd. Or if it's an unknown um, place, location with a crowd, I'm nervous because I don't know where I'm going to stand or where I'm going to sit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read about Ambervert and it's basically someone that is comfortable talking to other people and being in groups, but prefers smaller, more intimate settings and closer knit friends, but can kind of weave into that extrovert role as needed, but it takes a great amount of my energy. And so in order for me to recharge, I need to have that introverted time alone. Mm. Um, So it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's acting, but it's kind of playing this part of, of acting like an extrovert, even though I'm most comfortable and just feel myself if I'm, you know, at home or, you know, just with my husband or a couple of close friends. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. I never heard that word. Ambivert? Yeah, it's A-M-B-I-V-E-R-T. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I, I always consider myself to be an extroverted introvert or maybe an introverted extrovert, which is kind of like what you're saying is I, when I'm on, I'm on and you've witnessed it at the campsite. Like I am on and I'm, (laughs) the the jokes are coming and uh, the more people laugh, the more I give. And then after I'm like, please don't anyone talk to me. And like, you might have walked by me in the morning. In the morning, I am not the Joe of at night. Yeah, it's yeah. and so I, I but I didn't <laughs> like know there was yeah I didn't know there was a word for the ambivert. Um, it's like when you have to be on and you have to do it, you do it. But other than that, you would rather just be like home alone, not having to deal with the crowds. Sure. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of true introverts that find it very difficult to turn it on in public, and so it becomes very obvious to everyone around them that they're extremely uncomfortable. They don't want to speak. They don't, they don't feel like, you know, opening up that shell. And so it's, it's kind of an in-between, I guess, is what the ambivert is. Hmm. No, well, it actually makes sense to me. So let me ask you with knowing that when you planned on coming on this camping trip in Moab, how did you, were you nervous? Were you excited? Cause there, you know, not only was there, you know, a bunch of people spread out all over a campground, but you were going to be meeting a lot of new people. And so did you have to work yourself up to go or were you like, no, everything will be fine? No, I was pretty comfortable with that just because I've been doing so much, so many little camping trips this summer. And it seems like every time I go, there's, you know, one or two new people that I don't know. So it's fine. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah, I, I wasn't really that nervous about that. No. Well, that's good. That's good. And and because then you could just really go back to your own campsite and kind of like, all right, if I don't want to deal with any of these people, I could just be by myself. That part I do like. Yeah. Yeah. No. I have my own little perfect. tent condo. <laughs> it's great. Now you're. I didn't know this. Somebody. You know what? Somebody had mentioned this while we were there at the campground, but I think I forgot it until I got back home. Um, but you're also into photography. How does that fit in with this ambivert type of feelings that you know it provides you a way of being creative where you don't have to be around lots of people when you take pictures? Yeah. But- that's a good one. Um, I really enjoyed the photography because I started going out hiking 
Um, my husband doesn't go hiking for a couple of different reasons. Um, he had some uh, back issues that just make it too painful to go out and do a lot of hiking. Mm-hmm. And he would rather stay home and watch a movie. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I go out though and, you know, I enjoy just being out away from the city and there's so many beautiful views in Colorado and I just get to see them whenever I want to, you know, it's, it's not that far away. So as I started hiking, then I also was looking for new places to go and I'd look on Instagram for you know, different hashtags around Colorado and discovered a lot more landscape photographers. Um, so there was one that I started following on there. His name's Corey Shumway. Um, and he's from Denver. And I just liked his work so much and the way that he edited his photos. I actually purchased one of his prints and put up in my house. And then every time I would look at it, it would just inspire me of how beautiful it is and make me want to go out more. So I just started doing a lot more researching on cameras and what does it take and realized it's not as simple as just pressing the button and taking a picture. Um, So that kind of intrigued me that there's some more skill to it, trying to put together a composition when you're out seeing the scene. And then when you come home, there's the technical element on the computer of editing. So it's kind of like, an inside outside thing to do. I really like that. So I can go out hike and take pictures on the weekend. And then during the week, you know, in the evenings I can edit my photos as I want to. Is it, do you find, do you find find taking photography, do you find taking photos soothing and relaxing? Um, If I'm challenging myself, then there's a little bit of stress involved because I'm, trying to push myself to extract something that I can't just do by leaving it on the auto setting. I'm trying to think through a scene or, you know, what is it going to look like on a phone or on a screen or if I print it, those kind of things. Yeah. It's such a great way to be creative. And I love that. And I, I, I admire that when any, whenever I meet somebody and they do have something that they do that it sparks their creativity, I'm always drawn to those people. And I, that's definitely one of the reasons why I was drawn to you. And of course I was picking on you at the campsite anyway. So that was funny, but (laughs) I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun. It was fun. But you know, the thing that really just screamed in my head was when you were talking about going to gay conversion therapy. And I don't, I may have shared this with you, but I'm obsessed with religion and I'm current and I'm an atheist, but aren't those always the people that are most educated on religion are the ones who don't believe it anymore. (laughs) But I'm currently reading Uh this book called The Power Worshippers, which it's called The Power Worshippers Inside the Dangerous Rise of Religious Nationalism. And it's written by Catherine Stewart. And it's this woman who went to all these events with these far right Christian nationalist, Christian right people and interviewed them and took their own words. So it's not like it's, um, it's this made up thing, but when you read it, you know, you start thinking, Oh my God, the the Christian, right. They really have this agenda to kind of take over the government. And then I think, God, when I say it out loud, it sounds like this crazy conspiracy theory, but do you believe that there's some truth to that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Because a lot of 
right wing conservative Christians, you know, they believe that they are supposed to follow the laws of the land unless it violates what they believe they are supposed to follow according to their beliefs or what they think the Bible has taught them to follow. So it's in their best interest to infiltrate the government, you know, have, have Christian people scattered here and there or all of politics so that their, what they believe is the right way can be, uh, mandated for everybody to follow. Yeah. So see, I'm glad that you're agreeing because I know when I was reading this book, <laughs> I there were moments where I would put it down because I would only be able to read like one chapter at a time because it would freak me out a little bit. Um, and then I would think, God, if I start talking about this to people, if I just come up and start talking about this, they're going to be like, Joe has lost his mind. He is a crazy <laughs> person who believes that the Christian nationalists are trying to take over the government. But it's you know, if you look back at history and you look at how things have happened, it makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah, I mean, but I could say the same of really any extreme group. You could have a left-wing extreme group or a right-wing extreme group, and in their their interest would be to take over, you know, as much of government as they can. Right. Um, I think the difference between a lot of liberal people that I see in politics is that their, their voice is more trying to be about um, inclusivity for all people and letting people decide what's right for them. And the extreme right seems to be, um, you know, you must be an evangelical Christian and you must follow, um, you know, what we believe or you're wrong. There is no open to other ideas. Right, right, right. But I, um, yeah, that makes it, no, that you're absolutely right in that because the far, you know, I do tend to try to be in the middle. Like sometimes I read something that the far left said and I said, oh Jesus, that sounds just as crazy as the far right. But I, I agree with what you're saying is most of the liberal people, especially the ones I know, they're like, you know what, you should be able to choose what you want to do. But the the far right Christians tend to be the ones who are like, this is what you, sh you need to do because this is what God says you should do. And that's where I have a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, so you were born yeah. in an evangel event. Oh my God. I can't even say it. And it's in the afternoon and I haven't had nothing to drink. I promise with you. Um, <laughs> you were raised in an evangelical Christian household. Am I correct? Um, yeah. I was raised a kind of a branch off of the Mormons. Oh, what, the easiest way to say it. What kind of branch was that? Well, it's one of those churches, like many others, that that split a couple of times in my upbringing. So it was the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and then the um, the church that I ended up splitting off with, following my parents, was. Um, the Restoration Branches of Jesus Christ Church, which is, I think that's what it's still called today. Um, and they're basically out of, the majority of members are based out of Independence, Missouri, kind of Kansas City, Missouri area. And, um, oh, so, so it was a, a Mormon 
uh, like an offshoot of the Mormon religion. So you guys followed a lot of the Mormon religion, but went on your own way. Is that what it is? I don't know about those kind of things. Yeah, it was actually the other way around. And, and, um, Joseph Smith Jr. in the 1800s had moved from New York to Independence, Missouri, and then stopped. And Brigham Young was another, I guess he's considered a prophet in the church. He moved on to Salt Lake City with his followers, mm-hmm. continued on because his beliefs were a little bit different, and later formed the Mormon Church in Utah. So actually, the Beliefs of the um, church that stayed were the original teachings that Joseph Smith oh, Jr. believed God was okay. presenting to him. Right. And Brigham Young was actually the offshoot that became a much bigger church later. So Joseph Smith, is he the one that found the golden tablets in New York? Yes, in Palmyra, New York. Are you impressed that I knew that? Yeah. I am. (laughs) Yay, I impressed an ex-Mormon. This is very exciting. This is very exciting for me. So so that makes sense. So when they were coming down, they stopped in independent Missouri, and the rest of the people kind of went with Brigham Young, which I have a joke about that, to to, um, Salt Lake City, and Joseph Smith Jr.'s kind of stayed in the Missouri area and developed the religion from there. Am I correct so far? Uh Uh-huh. Now- Now, who was in the religion first, your mom or your dad? It was my mom. Okay. Yeah, and I think my dad, I think at the time when they met, um, was searching for religion and searching, doing a lot of deep searching on what he thought was um, just trying to figure out which way he should go, which church he should join. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they, as they were dating, he was doing a lot of the church research and that time right he was in his 20s and he thought that was correct and joined the church now was your mom part of the church growing up or did she find it as an adult or like not an adult but in her later years and her teenage years and stuff no she was actually but she grew up in the church but i don't think that it was nearly as they weren't nearly as religious as what my mom kind of turned into as she became a mother I think they were more, you know, you go to church to go to Sunday school and you, know, you have your friends and sing a few hymns and go home to have lunch. And that's kind of it. Now, how many siblings do you have? I'm in the middle. I have an older and a younger sister. Okay, perfect. So- and we're three years apart. So you're growing up in this house. You're growing up in this house and your mom is religious. At what point do you think, oh, this seems really intense, or do you not because you're indoctrinated into it? I, I think that from a young age, you know, I was taught to have my own uh, time to read the Bible and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants. Those were the holy books. And I think I never felt a lot of this spiritual connection to God. It was me reading about it, but not really feeling like it was part of me. Mm -hmm. But yet I was taught that it was supposed to be. So I would just always, you know, I would try and try and pray and 
you know, I would pray, but I was thinking, well, nothing's happening. <laughs> but a lot <laughs> of kids probably feel that way. Right. <laughs> That's probably nothing new. Um, I think that it just, I feel like I gave it my all, I guess, through most of my growing up years. I just don't feel like it was something that really stuck with me. It didn't, it didn't grab me. Like it took a lot of work and a lot of effort for me to say, I believe this. I, you know, have faith, all of these different things that you're taught. And so a lot of it was just me, um, following the motions of what I was taught I should do, not because I wanted to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I was raised Catholic and I can remember I would always bring questions up to my grandmother because she was like the monarch of the monarch. She was like the big Catholic of the family. Like she would make sure the sheets were, she was waiting for Jesus every day. Like she would wait, she would make sure the sheets were clean. I'd be like, he's not coming today. You don't have to make the bed. But it was crazy. But I would always bring her like my questions like this doesn't seem right. They fit all the animals on Noah's Ark, really every animal that I can ever imagine. And she would always tell me, don't question, have faith. And that was always something odd to me. I was like, that makes no sense. Would you bring things to your mom and say, you know, I just read this and it seems awkward. Yeah, definitely. Because everything, all of these stories are like a fairy tale. Um, the, the burning bush and the, uh, the ark and there's, um, Jesus turning the, the loaves and the fishes into feeding, you know, however many it was thousands, um, and water into wine. And I always thought, well, I guess those things could happen, but that's what faith is supposed to be is believing in something you can't see. And so I would just tell myself that over and over because there is no explanation for it. The explanation from anyone in the church is you have to have faith. That's that's just the way it is. And how dare you question that because it's in the Bible. Right. I always have. And and I grew up that whole teaching of Christ is coming back to earth for the second coming. Mm -hmm. And that church that I grew up in believed he was coming back. The second coming was going to be or will be in Independence, Missouri. So, I'm sorry. Listen, listen, I was trying to be serious, Jason. And then you told me that they are waiting, the Independence, Missouri is waiting for Jesus Christ to come back to Independence, Missouri. He's probably already there working at a 7-Eleven and they don't even know. Because he's from the Middle East. So he, he, probably, he probably is working at like Shop and Stop or something. And they wouldn't even believe it if they saw him because they're expecting a beautiful surfer dude to come and save the world. And it's really going to be yeah. a guy from the Middle East. So there you go. A white guy with long brown hair. <laughs> I know my grandmother had that picture all over her house. And I was always like, God, he's beautiful. Like, is that really what? And then when I got older, I actually saw the rendering of what Jesus Christ would actually look like. And I thought my grandma would have burnt her fucking house down. (laughs) She had to hang that, that picture in her house. She would have been like, she would have been a Satan worshiper by the end of the day. It was insane. Um, now why, why independence, Missouri? Is that because that's where Joseph Smith stopped and he was kind of like a prophet? Yeah, and the the Book of Mormon has more stuff in the Doctrine and Covenants about why that is, wh- why that was supposed to be the 
the chosen location that he was going to come back to Earth. And then, of course, and they'd call it Zion. And then, oh, yeah. of course, if Zion started there, then it would spread eventually to around, would spread out from there as the followers came in. And then people that rejected him would be the outcasts. And I assume that means on the other side of the planet, but I don't know. Well, it just sounds like so much to yeah. process when you're a little kid, when you're trying to just a lot. be a normal person. So now you're a little kid in your house. Can you tell me what it was like for you personally growing up with a zealot mom who really was waiting for Jesus to come back at any second? Well, yeah, so um, I think the older we got, the more religious she got the more that she dug into that being her lifeline i guess of relying on on god and religion um for happiness and a lot of other things were mixed in there um troubles in her marriage and um health decline and then we were homeschooled at the same time and so because my parents thought that it was too worldly was mm-hmm. a word that was used a lot um, for us to go to school. And so I went, I think, two weeks out of first or second grade. And something happened where it was, it was snowing or something. So I must have started spring semester. And I'm walking to school and this kid wants to come bully me and like uh, push me over in the snow and beat me up. And my sister came along that was three grades ahead of me and got mad at him and was like, you know, don't mess with my brother. And she pushed him over into the snow and then we went home. I never went back to school. So (laughs) we were homeschooled um, the rest of the way through. I did not go to a school again until I started college. Wow. And how that was very interesting and played a part in. And I'm sorry, how old again were you when you got pushed into the snow? Like what grade you think? I think I was, I was like six or seven. Oh, wow. So just starting. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little kid. You know, in this book that I'm reading, they talk about how um, the Christian nationalists really do favor homeschooling because they believe that in public school, kids are being taught like the heathen way of life. And so you said, Mm -hmm. you said too worldly, worldly. I'm having a hard time with my words today, Jason. I'm sorry. What exactly? Because to me, that sounds, oh, wow, you're learning about the world and diversity. And that's so exciting. But to probably some Christian right people, too worldly is a negative thing. Why is that? Well, because I was taught the exact opposite of of acceptance of everyone. Um, when they talk about such and such as too worldly, I was taught that I'm supposed to live in the world, but not of it. And so whether it is internally, uh, mentally, or in my appearance, I'm supposed to live according to the way that God wanted me to live in the world, but purposefully be separate from the way that the, quote, worldly people lived. Um, And if I was too close to the secular mainstream society, then that it was very obvious that meant I had strayed too far away from God because I was not setting myself 
separate and trying to continuously make myself more pure. It's very deep. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, no, it makes sense. It's, it's just, it's kind of weird because um, to me that would also tell me, well, then I should be in school but then continue to try and live the Christian values that they wanted me to live, but they didn't see it that way. Or be in a private, you know, you could go to a Christian school or something, but um, they thought that was still too worldly. Was it, was it really a lot of homeschoolers that way? Yeah, that's true. And you never even think like when I used to think of homeschooling, I would think, Oh, they just, you know, Oh, they want to really focus on, one-on-one with their children and may, you know, cause sometimes in a classroom, you know, a teacher can have 30 students and your one kid might not be getting all the attention unless like when you're sitting at the dining room table, one-on-one. But then I learned of this like almost darker type scenario theme of, because they're trying to teach these, teach their children, like, you know, the planet's only 6,000 years old and all the animals run an ark and Jesus is coming back to Independence, Missouri, so make sure your room is clean. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it only 6,000 years old? That's what, that's, that's what I grew up thinking. You know, did you grow up thinking, one of the things, whenever I take edibles and I get really high and silly, I always think about, they try to, they're trying to tell me that children played with dinosaurs. That really bothers me because I think that's a lie. Well, <laughs> of course. But were you told that too? Because, you know, in that creation museum in somewhere, I don't know where it is. Do you know where it is, the creation museum? No. It's like I in don't. Indiana or Ohio or something like that. Um, they actually teach like dinosaurs played with children in the Garden of Eden. I'm like, you guys are on bigger edibles than I am because that's crazy. Were you taught those things? Well, I mean, not that specifically, but yeah, I mean, basically the same thing. But then, I mean, Garden of Eden didn't last very long. I mean, what the sin happened right away, and then things started getting, you know, it, it changed. But I assumed, yeah, that in the very beginning, animals weren't afraid of people and because they weren't hunting to kill them. And so when the first sin happened and Eve took the, what was it? An apple it off was, the tree it, or something? It, you better know it was an apple. Everyone knows it was an apple. <laughs> I don't know. I'm giving I, you a hard I time. I don't even really care. <laughs> she took then, a piece of fruit. I mean, that's fruit. when everything changed. Right. So, I, I mean, I guess that's when animals then became fearful of man because then they started, later on, they started hunting them for food. Right. That's a good explanation though. You know what? If I didn't know better and you told me that I would say, Oh, you know what? That makes sense. Cause before the sin, of course the dinosaurs and the kids were playing because they didn't have any fears. But then once she stole the apple, then all of a sudden the dinosaurs woke up and said, no, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's part of, it's part of the fairy tale of, you know, the storyline. <laughs> So at what age did you start thinking this is a fairy tale and not the real world? Probably about 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. I think I started questioning things more. Um, so, and I guess I could say, you know, a puberty time, that 
goes on for a few years. People are very confused. Kids are wondering, you know, why they don't have any self-confidence, all these different things. So uh, along with that, I think came a lot more questioning in, in my life inside of myself of why don't I feel close to God? And why doesn't this make sense to me? And why does everything have to be because I don't have enough faith, you know, all these different things. And, and why, why am I in this church? If there are so many other millions of Christians, because even at that point, I just thought, well, the only real God was the evangelical Christian God. So, you know, I just assume, well, if there's so many millions of Christians around the world, then why is my small cluster of the church considered to be the only true church? It's just, it all just seems so absurd. And I'd keep those thoughts in, even though, you know, you respectfully kind of inquire with different questions. And um, that was kind of beside the point, I guess, because once I got to college or once I went to Wichita, Kansas, I kind of strayed away from that anyway, because obviously the program I was going into was not that type of church, even though it was very religious. So that just kind of became a, a side thing. And then later I was just like, it just seems hokey. I'm done with this church. <laughs> when No. Yeah. So when you were younger though, let me, cause, and I'm not, I don't want to say anything negative about your parents, but in this book that I'm reading, a lot of the um, evangelical men, they say it's very important for you to be like aggressively, um, ag- aggressively parent your children, like almost to the level of, I'm not going to say physical abuse, but like you make sure your kids know that you're in charge and if they sin, they're going to go to hell and you do that however you want. Did you ever sense like your mom or your dad being where they were more aggressive with punishment because of their beliefs? Yeah, because they believed in, in spare the rod, spoil the child. That's 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 mentality. Yeah. Right. Right. And I was a, I was a complete brat of a child. I'm the first one to admit that. I was a terrible little boy. (laughs) Oh, no, you were probably just a normal little boy. Yeah. (laughs) I was the one that was in trouble every single day in my sister's class. (laughs) But uh, to the point that I was convinced my younger sister was constantly trying to set me up to get in trouble. (laughs) So it was, that was kind of a battle back and forth. I think we were always fighting. But, yeah, I mean, my dad was, I would say, very strict. But at the same time, he was more, he always felt like he followed along with and kind of just trailed after my mom as far as the religious side of things. But beside the religious side of things, he was still a very strict person. Mm-hmm. And he still believed that we should not be in the world. So there were many years of growing up where my parents' convictions would change. It was so fluid. Um, there may be six months that went by where they had some conviction that, that we should not watch any television. And so they would give away our TV and we had no TV and that's fine. And we learned to live with that and we'd go outside and play, we'd read a book, whatever. But then football season came around and my dad would go out to Walmart and buy a TV. <laughs> mm, <laughs> but okay. then he, he didn't want anyone to watch commercials. So like he was a, with no one seeing a commercial he would turn off the tv and then like set a timer to wait four minutes until he thought they were over and turn it on again 
absolutely ridiculous. Wow. Um, and all, all of that played into us not seeing anything that was worldly. And was your mom on board with that also? Well, no, it, it does sound, it does sound crazy, but it's your reality. And it's so interesting. (laughs) Would would you, um, because you know what I have found and my grandfather, this was the same thing. My grandfather, um, he would swear a lot. He had a filthy mouth. And then when they were in church, it was, he was very prim. He was very proper. He did what he was supposed to. I would always get in trouble for talking in church, which makes sense now, 40 years later. Um, but you know, and then he'd come home and he'd be like, fuck this, fuck that. And I would always think there's a word for this. I didn't know the word hypocrisy at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I actually, my grandmother was a crazy Catholic, but her sister was more like her sister was this, the one that would say, um, you're going to, if you look in the mirror, you're going to see the devil because it's a sin to look at yourself. Like those are the things that I would hear growing up. Oh, and I was like, Oh, but they weren't like, they weren't like, you can't watch TV. Did you, at what age did you start seeing the hypocrisy in your dad saying there's no TV? Oh, football seasons. Come on. We're going to watch football, but no commercials. No, I'd call it out. And then I'd get in trouble for being disrespectful and, and, you know, raising my voice at my dad. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it just, uh, that was, just normal. I mean, it happened. Um, even like, I remember I, the time that I get to go see a movie in a movie theater. And I think it was, my gosh, when did Lion King come out? Like early nineties or something. 94 or something. And that was, 95. yeah, I think it was 94. So I would have been 14. And that was the first movie I remember going to in a theater since I was maybe four or five years old going with my grandparents. Like we just didn't go to movie theaters and we did not see anything that was uh, PG rated. So there's almost nothing that was G rated unless it was old Disney movies Mm. or PBS shows. And the first PG movie I remember watching with friends of ours was the princess bride. And for some reason, I think there's like one, cuss word in it or something and then the romance that's in there and that was the reason that it was like 12 years old before i was allowed to watch that movie (laughs) wow and it's the princess bride it's like a kid's movie yeah i mean i would consider it a kid's movie now but your goal your parents goal was to protect you from the sins of the world because in their mind that's what they were doing so it's almost like they were in a cult. I hate to say it like that. Do you think that? Oh, we heard that constantly growing up. Other Christians would constantly say we were in a cult because of the Mormon-esque religion we were in. So there was persecution in, within Christians towards us all the time. And so we, even within homeschool group, once they found out, it was almost like a, a little bit of a, a secret, like you'd hope that the family would like you and that they would accept the religion we were in. And then when they'd find out, then suddenly their parents wouldn't allow the kids to hang out with us anymore. And that's from another Christian family. um, Yeah. Yeah. So we had a couple, you know, we had some families that we had close friends with within our type of church and that was fine. I mean, we just grew up with a smaller group of friends. Um, As I started getting into high school age, 
that's when I was like, something is wrong here. Like I have, I don't really have any friends anymore. I think I lost my best friend, like maybe age 14, somewhere around there because just from moving away. And, uh, they're just, there wasn't really any socialization. And so I fought that a lot of times and got rebellious and wanted to constantly question, why can't I go to school? I want to go to high school. I, how am I going to learn enough if I want to go to college? All these different things. But that never worked. So looking back now, so many years later, I believe that my parents definitely did the best that they thought they should do in raising me. And I don't think I gave them enough grace. Mm-hmm. You know, I was extremely angry and rebellious about everything and just wanted no part of any of it. I just wanted to go to school and couldn't wait until I was 18 to get out of that house and away from them. So now, I've made that happen before I turned 18. Yeah. <laughs> but you say you say um, you had a lot of anger and rebellion as a teenager in these formable years when you're not, you're not allowed to have friends, you're not going to school and having that interaction with other people, your age, you're only like in your own little bubble. And at this point, are you starting to think like, I'm different. I am, a, I am, I'm having these weird feelings that everyone tells me as I'm basically going to hell. What do I do? I mean, I did have all of that, but I didn't know. I didn't know that I was gay. I didn't know what that necessarily meant. I'd heard the word, but if that word, if homosexual or gay was said in my house, um, my dad would get like visibly upset and say, I don't want to hear that word here. So I wasn't even taught necessarily anything that went along with a, a young adult that might be processing, you know, feelings that were different. I didn't know what that meant or what to do with it. Um, so I would kind of search for answers inside and, and when I would pray and ask God, like, why do I feel this way? Why, why am I not interested in wanting to date a girl? Um, you know, I'm not attracted to them, but at the same time, I don't think I really had lots of these thoughts of, Oh, he's cute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I, I just, I felt like I was, so sheltered that I just didn't even entertain a lot of that until a little bit later. Did you ever share? So when you're like 15, 16 years old and you're having these thoughts and you're praying about it, do you ever think like I have to tell someone or is that not even an option? I don't think I remember ever at that age, not, I didn't feel like I needed to tell someone that. No, I was too scared to ever utter that out of my mouth because I didn't think that I was gay at that point. Okay. I, I honestly didn't know. I, I just thought it was strange that I didn't feel an attraction to women. And so inside I would think, Oh, this must be part of God's plan. And, you know, maybe once I get out in the world and I get a job, um, maybe by the time I'm 25, I'll have a wife and kids and that's just the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that um, maybe once I'm married to a woman, then the attraction will come later. Oh, because yeah. that was another part of my upbringing is that we were not allowed to date even if I had been attracted to girls. 
um, we were taught that you would have to court someone and you were not allowed to have um, sex or you know sleep with anybody or any kind of physical relationship with them until you actually said I do. Okay. Okay. So it's almost like not, you know, in a normal house, when you're a teenager and you're having all these sexual things, like these ideas and, oh, I want that girl, I'm going to go on a date. You're not even allowed to date. So, so screw even thinking about, oh God, you know, why am I, why don't I like girls? Like you don't, you don't, you can't even have any type of relationship with anyone until you're married. Yeah. So the whole thing was just kind of taught like, everything I'm thinking about in relation to that is wrong because I can't do that. And so there's, there was like no reason to even talk about it because it wasn't allowed. Right. Whether whoever I would have wanted to date or be attracted to, I wouldn't have been able to date someone. So that probably made it a lot more confusing for my, my mind. It's so interesting to me, like when you mentioned like your dad, he couldn't even handle the word gay or homosexual. He would like, like get upset about it. Like just the word of it. What were you guys taught about gay people? Um, basically Sodom and Gomorrah, Hmm. you know, that's what gay people were with the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they were, they were all damned to hell, basically destroyed each other because of because of their gross sin. And that's what homosexuals were in my mind. I, that's just uh, really about the only thing I was taught about it. Which could really f- mess you up if you have been taught, like, I'm going to hell, and oh shit, th- I'm having these feelings, and this is this is all just really bad. And I don't have anyone I can share it with. Did you guys have like a a pastor or a priest? A priest. See, I'm a Catholic. Did you have somebody who you guys could talk to, like go to church, or was it mas- basically your parents? Um, we had lay pastors, which so they weren't paid, okay. and the pastor would would maybe be there for two years and then you'd vote in another one or be vote in the same one, you know, if everybody liked him, uh, it was only men. There's no women allowed in the, they called it the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So they had elders and deacons and priests and different bishops and whatever. It's nothing like the Catholic church, but there's you know just different names for people in the priesthood that did different functions. But kids did not go to those people, those men as, maybe you would as an adult where you want to go confess to a priest. It wasn't really like that. Um, they just got up and prepared their sermon that they were going to give on Sunday. Uh, other than that, all of those kind of things fell to the parents. I so see. it, it yeah. very much remained in the family unit. And so I don't think there was really even a culture of um, like Christian counseling, even in, in my church, you didn't really do that. You just kind of dealt with everything in your home and prayed and, and studied to see what the answer from God was supposed to be. Did you ever, I never got one. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, I was like, you said you like, you, you prayed a lot. Did you ever get an answer? <laughs> Not me personally. I mean, it was no. just everybody around me telling me what I was supposed to do. <laughs> so now, so now you, you graduate high, say you graduate high school. Do you know you're gay at that point? Or are you still like, I don't know what's happening. 
So I knew uh, basically an epiphany that I was gay because the guy that I had met told me that I was gay. And so I honestly, until he said it out loud to me, I didn't really know if I was gay or not. That sounds so strange, but that's how sheltered I was. I just <laughs> did not know if the way that I felt meant that I was. I mean, I hadn't had any kind of sexual relations with anyone. You know, I hadn't had sex to know if I really liked that. So it, it remained a question in my mind. And um, yeah, so at 17, that would have been like, let's say, well, soon into when school should have started at 17, I was pretty much done with whatever school I was going to get taught at home. And things were just not good. I was kind of all over the place, roller coaster mess of emotions inside and not knowing where life was supposed to go. And that turmoil of now I know the feelings of being gay inside and something was wrong. Um, this is at a time where most households started getting a computer. And so we got dial up internet and AOL. <laughs> You've got mail. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I discovered chat rooms and, and classified ads and all these different things. And so my inquisitive mind started going out there, looking at things in the local area looking for um, friends or just anything and everything. You know, I was just looking for what is out there, what's in the world, what is it that I want to do? And um, so then I wanted to join the YMCA in town. I, I thought, well, I'm going to start, I want to go work out. And I know inside of me, there was this huge draw of, I'm going to see all these attractive guys there. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, maybe I'll meet a friend there and I can work out with somebody. So I started going to the Y and then I was in a, a chat room and somehow met this guy on there that lived in the same town. And then he went to the Y also, I found out. And so we kind of set up this date, if you will, to be at the gym at the same time so I could meet him. And, and I'm still 17 then. And so, um, yeah, I went there and I met him and started secretly kind of going and hanging out with him and then started hanging out a couple of times after working out. And then I started going over to his condo. And the biggest thing for me was it was someone giving me attention and friendship. And I didn't have that from anyone right at that point in life. So there was a big draw. And I think he was kind of along with that playing into this little bit of a father figure role because at that point I had basically cut off wanting to have anything to do with my dad. I just, I couldn't stand being around him at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and so this guy was 40 and I was 17. Okay. Well, I'm 40 now. And back in my early twenties as I, or 18, 19, as I was working through later, how that did not work out that relationship. I started thinking that was so perverted. Like, why would he do that? Well, I don't feel that old now as a 40 year old, <laughs> but at the same time, I would not be trying to go and date someone that was 17, almost 18 years old. Right. Um, anyway, so I, 
I actually got to the point where I told my parents that I had found a new roommate and I was moving out and there was nothing they could do about it because in a month or two, I was going to turn 18 and I was just moved right back out again Okay, and fought with them. And I actually left, I moved out. And so I set up, um, in this guy's condo, my own bedroom and brought all of my stuff with me, but I never slept in there <laughs> and I had to keep it set up and act like, you know, keep up the facade, I guess, in case they came over because they were still living in the same town. Um, but meeting that guy and moving in with him and having a, a short relationship with him, that really made me know I'm gay and you know, I love the relationship and, and the sex. This is right. This is scary. This is exciting. All these different things. And it was such a 180 from any feeling inside I'd ever had towards a female. You know, I just, those were non-existent. So then that's when I started really knowing, like, yeah, I'm gay. This is, this is scary. And I don't know what to do with this because at this point I can't tell my family. Right. Because I know I'll probably be excommunicated and I'm going to hell if I verbally say this to anyone else. So that was. Did you convince your, did you convince yourself like if I don't say it out loud to people then it's not true and maybe I don't have to deal with it? I think I was for a while in my mind I think I was going to keep it as like this this hidden sin like you know some married dad that's having an affair with his secretary or something you know some whatever which happens you know, a lot of the Mormon religion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, remember like, the joke remember my joke whenever i would work salt lake city flights it was like half the married men on there were like girl i need a jack daniels and i would be like am i the only one experiencing this or am i like in a nightmare it's crazy they have like seven kids and they're bigger they're the biggest queen i've ever met and the wife is like come on honey and he's like she just won't stop and i'm like i can't stop smiling um <laughs> Was it hard? Was it hard for you? You actually had, you actually called me over at the fire pit to tell that story <laughs> on Saturday oh, night. You're hilarious. like, Joe, Joe, come here and retell all the funny gay Mormon guys that are on your flights. Um, but how does your mom, like, I can imagine your mom being this very a religious woman and she has her three children that she can really control everything that they're learning, every, all the information they're getting. She's like, she is in control of this. And then how does she deal with her children now, especially you, the quote unquote troublemaker one starting to leave the nest? Like what is, how does she react to goodbye and moving out? And now you're not under her thumb anymore. Uh, I mean, she was completely heartbroken. I mean, it was, she cried anytime she saw me. Um, you know, I constantly, I was hearing you've changed. You're not the same person. What's wrong. Why are you, why are you being like this? Why are you so disrespectful? All of these things. Um, there was nothing in that that was supportive. It was more, and, and that hurt too. Like I didn't, I never wanted to, disappoint or hurt my mom. Um, at that point in life, my dad, I was kind of like, screw you. I don't want to ever speak to you again. That was my thought. But um, I'm, just because I thought he was a jerk, I mean, not because he did anything specifically wrong to me. 
I just didn't like him. And I was closer to my mom. I think when I was much younger, I was definitely a mama's boy. And anybody could assume that, I guess, if you're homeschooled, you're always there with your mom. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was, she was pretty much heartbroken. And, And so she did come over to that condo. I remember at my boyfriend's house. Um, once or twice and cried while she was there and he was gone at work. So of course she didn't really see him, but she had met him before. Mm-hmm. And um, we just went on from there. And then I, I just tried to hide it and make them go away and tried to keep the visit super short because I, I thought, well, the longer they're at my place where I'm living, the more questions they're going to ask and I don't want them to find out. So I really tried to distance myself from them so that they, I wouldn't have to answer questions. But, um, right as I, or like a month after I turned 18, I was supposed to have a homeschool graduation from high school with all the local homeschool kids that were seniors. And I had kind of casually made friends with quite a few of them and gotten involved there to try and have some friendship. And, um, so I was going to, I was planning to do this and my family was going to be there and a few other relatives. Well, I wanted my boyfriend to be there. But that was a secret. And so he actually came and sat in like the back row of this big church to watch me graduate high school. And my plan was I was going to go home and spend the night with my family that night just to kind of have some family time. And I was going to tell them the next morning that I was gay. So I did that. But Mm. it was so difficult for me. I sat on their couch and wept and cried and you know just had a horrible time with it and it took me a couple of hours to spit it out of my mouth and after literally like two hours sitting there freaking out I couldn't crying and not being able to say it I say it and my dad storms out of the room and says something like no you're not and I don't want to hear anything else about it or something like that and then my mom is like uncontrollably crying and like you, just like you there, just, like, like you just told like them I you murdered her. someone or something. Yeah, like I, I've killed her, and yes. his was anger, but my mom's was just complete pain. Like she, that's <laughs> her worst nightmare. Yeah, like you said. Yeah, the worst nightmare come yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. So that was the transition right there. Of um, after that day, uh, well, no, that wasn't the end of the day. That was an awful day. Uh, so a few hours went by of my parents holed up in their bedroom and I'm still there because I'm an absolute mess and don't really know what to do at this point. Because as I tell them that I'm gay, I also tell them I don't really know what to do because now after a few months, I've realized that as an 18 year old new at coming out and getting out into life, I'm not at the point where I should be dating a 40 year old guy. This is never going to work long term. And in my mind, I'm still thinking of life is you're supposed to meet the perfect person for you and then spend the rest of your life with them. So that's the goal. And and that's part of the journey. Like I never thought about just casually dating around. It was, I'm going to search for my spouse. Right. And so I had already decided this and and I think I just have a very old soul (laughs) to have known that already within a couple of months. And so, telling them that 
the rest of the story. Like, and I've been dating, uh, what's his name? And I'm not going to say his name, but no, you know, I've been dating him. We weren't just, uh, friends. And now I don't think I want to date him anymore. That just compounded it. So later in the afternoon, then my dad had come out of the bedroom, very angry and still not wanting to speak to me, but said, um, well, this is it. You are leaving there right now. Get in the car. I'm taking you there and we're getting all of your things and you're moving home immediately. And I, I was such a, an emotional mess and not knowing what to do and not having a decent job to be able to literally live on my own that I just kind of followed along. I think I was just emotionally wrecked and needed someone to guide me in any way. And there was some kind of support there. So I just grabbed hold of it. Like, okay, I'm, I'm coming home. So I had to go back to his house while my dad sat in the, in the, his minivan and break up with my boyfriend that didn't know that was coming and then move all of my things out. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, that was, that was hurtful for him too, because he was a very emotional person. Um, and he was very hurt and just kind of like went down to his basement while I moved everything out and, and said our goodbyes. Um, and so coming back to my parents, I stayed there for the summer and I got a pretty good job and just tried to remain stable. Um, and started going to some Christian counseling and, going back to a church and they didn't really care where they were trying to be very supportive as long as it was me going back towards Christianity mm -hmm. and getting away from homosexuality. Because in their so, mind, you can't do both. Cause I know a lot of gay people who are uh, Christian. Oh, hundred percent. Okay. You can't oh, do it both. Was, there was no quite, there was no option. It was, you're not a homosexual. You're not gay. Um, even if you are, you can't live that way. This is a sin, 100%. And if you feel that way, then that is considered temptation in your life. And you, you have to resist that and learn how to live not doing anything about it. Right. So I did a lot of research, but my parents both did a lot of research too uh, and presented me with different options. Like they were trying to be helpful. They, they would say, well, I found this new counselor. You know, they've, they've counseled um, gay men before. Maybe you should call them. And so we just did a lot of experimenting with the different churches I would go to and different groups. And I got some support from some youth pastors and things like that. Um, and finally realized that my feelings weren't changing, even though I was trying to go back the other way in my mind, not be rebellious and kind of go back towards the Christian way of thinking. And uh, so then we started learning about these conversion, really call it conversion therapy, but it's kind of what they were. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd heard about this one in, in Wichita, Kansas, and we're like, well, that's not really that far away. It's three or four hours away. And so I had emailed them and talked to the pastor on the phone, and we set up a meeting, and I drove myself down there and met with them just to kind of be interviewed. and see what they were all about and then see who I was. And so the basics of it were you get accepted into this program and you fully immerse yourself in trying to strengthen your relationship with God for a year. Wow. And you commit to that year long time frame. Like it's not just, Oh, you're out on good behavior at four months. <laughs> 
it's, uh, you're signing up for this. And so, and you had to have a full-time job, but you had to be available on every night of the week, weeknights. Um, I had to go to different types of Bible studies or group studies. And then um, some individual counseling sessions. And then you had to go to their church, which was fine. Um, so, yeah, at the, at the same time that I decided, well, maybe I should try this. This is me giving it every effort that I can. It was enticing, too, because it was another way to get away from my parents. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> now, was this was this place, was this facility targeted towards um, homosexuals who were trying to not be homosexuals or was it for anybody who just had lost their way and needed to find God again? No, this was, uh, only for gay men that that believed that they were not supposed to live that way. And that it was, you know, an evil temptation that they needed to, they needed help figuring out how to come back to, to God because that was straying away from him. I um, I think they had a similar, well, they did have a similar um, program for women as well. I don't think it was as successful or popular. Oh my God. That sounds like they're just trying to make, <laughs> it sounds like if you put a room full of lesbians in that place, trying to not be lesbians, they're just going to come out married renting you halls. Like, yeah, thanks for, I found my wife. Thanks. This is the best year of my life. Uh, let, yeah. me, let me ask you though, of course I have to make jokes about things. Let me go back though, because when you were sitting there, you tell your parents I'm gay, you're they're locked in the room and they come out, they're like, all right, we're going to, you're moving back home. Did you, because you know, knowing that being gay was wrong and your fear of losing your parents, like, did you think, oh my God, there's a chance that they're still going to love me. So let me do what they say. Did you, do you think that yeah. went through your head? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there was this intense fear of being excommunicated and, and at, literally at this point, they didn't even want me to speak to my sisters. Like I was like this dirty person and they were trying to figure out how, and if they even wanted me in the house, but they wanted me there more than they wanted me to stay with the other guy. It was a horrible time. Oh, right. So it was like... <laughs> This guy makes him happy, but him being gay does not make us happy. So let's move him back home, ostracize him from his sisters, and we have to figure out what to do with this kid. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, hello. And we have to convince him how to make the decision because he's an adult. And if we we try and demand that he do it, then he's going to rebel. So we have to convince him that this is the way he needs to do it so he does it willingly. Now, and I did it willingly. You did. Try it. You're a good son. You tr- yeah. listen before we move on. Like I want you to know, like you're a great kid. You did a hell of a lot more than I would have. Because when I was 16, and I came out, and my mom was like, "I'm going to call the cops on you because I don't know if she thought priests came with the cops." Um, I was like, "Fuck off!" And the cops came. It was a disaster. But this isn't my story. Um, Let me ask you this, because I know a lot of people who are listening right now have this question on their mind, so I'm just going to ask you. Now that you're 40 and you look back at being 17 and having a 40-year-old boyfriend, do you think he took advantage of you in the fact that you were young and didn't really know what was going on? That's a good question. And 
You know when somebody answers that's a good question, it's giving them time to think about how to answer it. <laughs> exactly what I'm doing. Exactly. <laughs> I I don't know that I've ever figured that out. You know, I, I I really think that he was a very good person and um I actually um through some research just literally like a month ago I just found out on uh, some Facebook digging in that he passed away of cancer. Oh. And that, so that was really sad. Um, but I, I want to believe that, you know, everything was, I don't know. No, I don't think that was probably right for him to do that. Okay. Um, I would I, not yeah. think it was right for me now if I was going, uh, you know, if I was single and then to try and start dating a kid that was just barely 18, I don't think that's really appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but not saying that there's anything illegal about that, but in this case there actually was because I was still <laughs> 17 when we started dating. Right. So that I didn't even, I forgot about that. That was the other thing I had to convince my dad, um, was adamant. He was going to get the police involved and try and accuse this person of raping. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was just a nightmare. I actually, I finally convinced my parents not to call the police. Like this, you know, hey, this was a hundred percent consensual. Like leave him alone. This is about me, not about him. Like, right. You know, this guy, you know, don't go and ruin his life. It's just ridiculous. Well, and they probably also thought like, uh, you know, just like the question I asked you, like, oh, Jason doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know what he's thinking. And now this 40-year-old guy who could be his dad is moving him in the house. And so, like, as much as I am anti-religion and how your parents brought you up in that environment, I can actually, under if you took the religion part out, I could understand that part of their argument. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Like oh, if, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because if I had a 17-year-old kid, that was my son. I would be like, no, time to beat somebody's ass. Yeah, my son, I'd be like, get your ass out here on the porch. We're going to talk right now. There's going to be some problems. Right, like if you want to <laughs> like, be what gay. What are you doing with my son? Yeah, if you want to be gay, that's fine. But please have a 17-year-old boyfriend, not somebody who's older than me. Because that would piss me yeah. off. <laughs> now, so... You, you actually enter this program on your own and how long can you, like you have a job, you're going to classes at night and Bible study, but are you still like, God, I, you know, boy, do I miss that dick? I know I'm crass. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I started falling for, I started becoming extremely attracted to a few of the guys' personalities and who they were right. as people um, in the house that I was living with. It kind of fluctuated because everyone was on a rolling 12 months in this program. Okay. Um, or if one of the guys faltered is what we called it or went out and sinned, um, then the pastors would decide if they were going to get kicked out of the program or not. And so some of them wouldn't make it a year. Um, quite a few wouldn't make it well, a year. Course, they would maybe yeah, be there for course, three yeah. months. And, you know, and then they were like, this isn't for me. And they would leave. But quite a few of the guys I, I would get really close to. And then it became this um, pulling away that I would have to do 
because the pastor would say, I'm becoming emotionally attached to, or, or um, what is it? Codependent on them, emotionally dependent on them. And so, and that was true. It was all part of me growing up. So there was, I did a lot of growing up with the direction of these pastors helping me because I was still pretty immature at the same time I'm trying to do whatever it took to not be gay. And it doesn't work. Right. I mean, In case anybody's wondering, it doesn't work. Well, that is definitely a question that I was going to ask you regarding do you talk to anybody from that period who was in the program with you and did are they are they cured of their homosexuality? I I keep in contact occasionally with with a couple um and it's been quite a few years for some of the ones that I I used to stay in contact with but I know that several of them have gotten married now to women um um, the guy that was my house pastor, if you will, at the time, um, he got married and had several kids later and another one, I think married to someone that already had kids. So for them, I, I guess in, in their life it worked, but you know, I'm not going to speak for somebody else, whether they still have attractions to men or not. I don't know. Um, but then there's definitely the majority of them that I had kept in contact with. No, it did not work. That It just remained how it was when they were in the program with me. Um, it, it remained a constant struggle in their life that they are constantly trying to gravitate towards God to help them and give them grace and have faith that they're doing what they're supposed to do by I guess they just have to live a single life. Right, because correct me if I'm wrong, being a homosexual is not the sin. The act of it is the sin. Correct. But you, as you dig into that further, the thoughts okay. are also a sin. Oh, God, I'm in so trouble. You know, oh, I'm having I thoughts mean, right now. No, well, I'm yeah, kidding. I'm for kidding. me, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm just lusting all the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sinning all the time. So... Were yeah. you in the program for the full year? I was, yeah. Wow. Graduated from that program, and, and my parents came down and had a little church ceremony and a congratulations dinner for me and then one or two of the other guys that had made it through. And are you guys all looking at each other, the graduating people? Are you looking at each other like, yeah, I've already looked up. There's no Wichita gay bars. I wasn't. Okay. Cause I know, I know, but, but were you thinking you were cured after the year? Were you like, that's it. Even if I have to stay single, I am not going to act on these urges. No, I, I finished with a lot of questions, a lot, like a lot of mystery, a lot of like, well, you know, I'm done, but it doesn't feel like anything different. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I definitely felt like I, what I did in that year was focus on, I am going to give this my all, everything that I can possibly do that is asked of me to do it right. So that I won't ever look back if something doesn't go right and say, well, I didn't really give it a good effort. 
And, and so I, I prayed all the time. I constantly asked God to take those feelings away from me, to heal me. It was constantly about me asking God to heal me, like there was something wrong with me. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of pain in that. You start to feel like you're, you're begging God so much for this change to happen, and it almost starts to make you just feel more broken because nothing's happening. Um, right. that's what happened to me because I just didn't feel like any, any revelation from God or anything, you know, there wasn't change happening. It was just more and the attractions despair. were still there. Right. Yeah, it was because I, I did feel this attraction to a, a couple of the other guys that I was friends with. You just kind of have to, you know, talk about it in your weekly counseling and then you're told to. You know, well, thanks for letting me know. You need to work on uh, praying about that more. And then, of course, then the next week, it would be like I was on restriction where I'm not supposed to be around that person alone. So they knew. So the pastors here knew, like, because to me, and I'm just a moron sometimes, but the idea of, all right, we have all these guys, we have all these 18, 19-year-old straight guys, um, gay guys who... We want to convert them to be straight. Let's put them in bunk beds together where they sleep together in the same house and tell them not to or not to follow through with their urges. I would have been like, I'm going to have so much sex. Because it I just sounds like a failure. So many times before. What? what? Like, was that a, just a great big sex house or what? Well, that's kind of the question, but... I wanted it to be yeah, more professional. No, You're like, no, nobody was having sex. <laughs> well, nobody that I knew about. <laughs> because um, I mean, luckily we had our own bedroom. Because it's kind of like, oh, oh, well, that's good. Because I imagine, I imagine like. Like straight guys, you're not going to have sex with women. You cannot have sex with women. We're going to move you into this house. And we're, you're going to sleep and live with these women, but you can't touch them. It's almost, it's almost well, absurd. Yeah. It's like Big Brother. But I yeah, think I mean, I guess it, yeah, it kind of, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. But let me ask you this. Go back to that moment when you're 18, 19, when you enter this. Did you do it for yourself or did you do it to make your parents happy? I would say that was a like 75, 25. 75% for myself. I, I knew that I was desperate and needed direction in something. And at that time, I truly believed I needed to do whatever I could do to, to um, follow what I was taught God wanted me to do. Right. Yeah. I didn't know there was any other choice. I'm being honest. You know, I didn't know there was a choice to question the Bible or question any of the teachings if they were like, I was questioning, but I didn't know that literally not everyone lives that way. I, for me, it was you either live as a Christian and every, or you're in with the other group and the other group is everyone else is going to hell. Right. Even, even other Christians, because I know a lot of, I've studied a lot about different sects and Christians, and they even think other Christians are going to hell. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite interesting. You mentioned a few minutes ago, you mentioned about how you would just pray. You would pray to God, like, please fix me because you believed something was wrong with you. At what point though, did you have this wake up moment of saying, oh, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with me. How old were you when that happened? And what were your circumstances? Uh, because now you know there's nothing wrong with you, right? You do know that. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, oh! I did not see that curveball coming. But go ahead. Like, have you had that moment? Probably where you're a couple like, no. years later. Okay. All right. Were you in a relationship? Or oh, you mean you mean now? Currently, yes, I know that there's nothing. Oh, wrong yeah. With now me. you do. I but you're talking about this. But back then, oh, good, good. But back then, like, what was the aha moment where you were like, oh, wait a minute, there's nothing wrong with me. This is just me, and I'm this. I'm Jason. This is it. You know, I wish I could tell you it's that simple, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think so many guys struggle, and, and, you know, men and women struggle with this that have been raised in very religious upbringings. It, it's not that all of a sudden one day you just wake up and say, I feel better. I, I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. It, it, it's such a long process for so many people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, there's just discovering who you are and discovering religion and discovering what you think about life and, and maybe life after death. And it's complicated, but I think then it was a couple of years later that I finally decided to accept it. And so, oh my, earbud fell out of my ear. Um, I think that it was kind of a turning point when I started to get extremely depressed. So I felt like I had given it everything. And then I decided, well, now I don't want to move back to the Kansas City area after getting done with that program in Wichita because I don't have any friends there now. You know, any, anybody that was homeschoolers, I'm um, like, um, I can't bring all this baggage now into these conservative people's lives that I was kind of friends with. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, well, there's no reason to move back there. Um, I might as well stay now. I have a base and I, I've met so many people over the year in Wichita. So I thought, well, Yes, I don't really have a lot of direction, but I know that I want to go to college, so I'll just start college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I just started college the next semester at Wichita State and moved into the dorms and started going to one of the churches there that was like a non-denominational church um, that had a, a really strong college group there, a college youth group and just tried to immerse myself with that group. And they knew about the program that I had gone through. And so I felt a lot of crossover support there. Mm. Um, even though I didn't tell all of these other college students that I met about that until I got to know them better, the, the pastors at the church, they all knew and they supported me. So that was cool. Um, but one of the guys that I had met that went through the program I did, but not at the same time. Um, I started to have feelings for him and just 
things started to unravel for me emotionally because it was like I was having all these attractions come back of uh, what I'd had before. Mm-hmm. But this time, because I knew that I wasn't supposed to live that way, I started to go into more and more of a depressive state because I think, I think it was that I was truly in love with this person emotionally. You know, it wasn't that I was dating them, him, but um, there was just that tug of war going on inside. And so it finally got to a point where I got so depressed and my grade sucked, by the way. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't very good at focusing on school. Well, you were going through a lot, so that makes sense. Yeah. And I just, I got so depressed that then I started having the, the thoughts go through my head of what are my options here? Okay, do I live this way? And then here's the sin, and then I go to hell, and then what's hell going to be like? Or do I, um, do I, figure out how to deal with being miserable the rest of my life, but that's what God wants. And so then it's okay in the public's eye and God's eye. And just went back and forth for a while. Um, you know, I let my counselor know that I was struggling this way and it didn't really get much support out of that. It was basically, well, you need to pray more. Right. You, know, you need to study more. How were your parents, though? Because you graduated. Did they like, oh, good, that's over with. Now we can just wait for the grandbabies to come. Or were they yeah, still now you're like, fixed. what? Yeah, it was like, now you're fixed. <laughs> <laughs> now you're fixed. Yay. We can get back to normal. When did they, when did the realization come to them that, hi, I'm Jason and I'm, this is, I am gay and this is the way it is? Um, a, a couple of years later when I decided to bring a boyfriend home. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. To try and meet. Yeah. Did, were they surprised so by that I, or did they not see that coming? Uh, no, it was like coming out a second time. I, I truly have come out two times. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. That's exciting. Now, yeah, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, so you bring this boyfriend home. What happens? You can't drop it off there. You got to fit. You got to tell me what happens. I, I tried to force him or anyone that I was dating onto my family at that point and make, to make them accept me and, and me just saying, look, you know, I've kind of gone around the circle now and now I've decided, you know, this is who I am. I'm gay and I'm not going to be miserable for the rest of my life because otherwise, and not to make light of this at all, the alternative to me was starting to just sound like talking myself. Right. Um, and I, you know, that actually decided not that that was not an option at all because I did not ever think it was fair to project the pain that I had inside of me and try and push that onto everyone else around me if I would kill myself. So um, I just decided, you know, that that's not an option. I have to figure this out. What, what am I going to do to make it through life? Am I going to be miserable or am I going to be happy? And obviously I chose I'm going to be happy for myself and I will deal with later if there is heaven and hell, then so be it. But I am 
there's no way I can live for how many more decades being absolutely miserable and in so much pain. But that's why I just made that decision finally and started dating, went to the gay bar. <laughs> well, I'm glad you did. No, seriously, though, I'm really happy that you have found the strength to be your authentic self and not because I have heard so many stories of, of this same thing where the guys come out up. Oh, yep. I'm straight. Then they get married. Then they have two or three kids. And then lo and behold, they're banging their brother-in-law because you know, and then everyone's <laughs> lives are ruined and it's just, it never yeah. ends well. And you think, all of this because you were too afraid to be your own self. So congratulations, Jason. And I hope you realize the strength that it does take to be yourself and not worry about all that other bullshit. Thanks. Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, and, and I hope that all of those Mormon husbands, you know, in out of SLC that you would, would meet on the plane, you know, that they're not those, 55 year old men once their kids are grown and then they come out and leave their wives but you know that might happen you know i think that happens it's this thing of i've been i've lived with you for 20 years and then there's the same sex attraction disorder where the wives probably think well as long as you're not maybe if you're just watching Pornhub, if i don't have to see it will be fine but you know it's i'm amazed how people will twist their lives into a pretzel just to please somebody in the sky that we don't even really know is there that's always astonishing man yeah how is how is your relationship with your parents today um so my mom passed away in 2010 okay um and it was not good when she passed away. Uh, she was had, I think, five months before she passed, she had sent an email to the family and literally saying that um, I could not speak about my life around her or, or my partner at the time um, to anyone in the family and no one else in the family could bring it up to her because she was uh, too sickly to deal with that turmoil. And she wanted to be as close to God before in her last days as possible. And because of that, she had to make the decision to uh, not expose herself to my negativity and the awful aura and energy that I brought to her. Uh, so that was very hurtful. Yeah. But she she put that in an the way email. It ended. She put that in an email five months yeah, before was, she died. Like three or four page long email. Yeah. Um, so was she saying she didn't want to see you or she wanted to see you, but you couldn't bring your boyfriend around. You couldn't talk about your lifestyle, whatnot. Well, no, she added that because she knew that that is not possible for me because I refused to, um, let that happen and abide by her wishes that she wasn't going to be able to see or talk to me anymore basically you know wishes me well and all of those things and if anything changes in the coming months then or weeks she didn't know if she had weeks or months left um that so maybe we could discuss something then but we talked a few times after that i think when things did get a lot worse the last few months she maybe softened a little bit before she she ended up on hospice and mm -hmm. and then had passed but um 
yeah, I have enough peace with that now. I think I've worked through that over the years. That's been, you know, 10 years ago. But yeah, that was hard for a couple of years after she passed. Like it felt so um, undone and judged. Why? Um, yeah, but, why do you know? Um, you being raised in a in a Christian household, why does it seem? And correct me if I'm wrong. Why does it seem that so many of these types of Christians? And I actually, some of my, I have a one of my dearest friends is a Christian, and I actually put them in two bubbles. I put the no, I call them the normal Christians who are like loving and they just believe in God and they're th- you live your own life and they don't worry. And then there's like the people that are on the far right who have more hate. It seems like it, it seems like if you were, if you didn't know anything about God, you think Jesus. Well, that's that's <laughs> I was going to say Jesus Christ. That's terrible. But like like wow, those people really spread a lot of hate. I thought God was supposed to be this loving, caring person and and the message that they deliver is not that message. I know. It's like what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> Yeah, I'll never get it. Like it's, I don't, it's I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. it. There is so much hypocrisy and judgment everywhere. In and no matter it, it's not just the extreme right Christian churches. It's so many different ones that preach openness and and loving everyone. But then when it comes down to brass tacks, then uh, you see a different side of things. I don't know why that is. It just it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it's and it's just so bizarre. And somebody who grew up in that, you probably like when you see things in the news today regarding the Christian nationalists and the Christian right movement and all that. Do you think in your head you're all a bunch of hypocrites? Oh, I just usually yeah. I think you're a bunch of quacks. Quacks. You said something to me when we were camping, which I'm going to bring up. It's not that bad. Um, you said something like when you're in a town, you notice how many churches are in the town or you notice if there's a lot of churches and you're like, nope, not for me. How, yep. how is your relationship with God or spirituality today? Um, today it is non-existent okay. I respect by that. my decision. I, I would say, I mean, because I literally choose to just kind of not even think about it anymore. I came to enough peace uh, years ago that I don't seek out other religious thoughts or religions or really that much in the sense of spiritual things. Um, was so indoctrinated with it. For so many years, I honestly, I think that I'm agnostic now. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I truly believe in heaven or hell. I mean, if other people do and they're in the good place that they believe in, then that's great. I'm happy for them. Right. Um, yeah, know, I don't know. I think there is so much fear that people live through this heaven or hell thing you know, all of their life. And I just, I'm like, I don't need this burden. Right. 
Yeah, I don't need I don't need to not go out tonight because I might go to hell. Like, but but I I I really believe that a lot of people, and this is how religion has been indoctrinated indoctrinated into people, and it's the fear of this can't be it. This life cannot be it. And 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 what I've always noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong, is I've always noticed that that could be a reason why lots of poorer people or people not people in rural America who might not have a lot, they tend to believe in an afterlife because it's like, if this is all that is that I'm dealt, this is bullshit. Instead of saying, I'm going to dig myself out of this, or I'm going to make my life better. Or, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do the, I'm going to go to community call. like, whatever it's, well, this is the, this is the deck that God has given me and I'm going to have to play through it because when it's over, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be granted with 30 virgin. Oh, wait a minute. Wrong religion. See, I get them all confused. I get them all like, who's getting the virgins? Who's getting the virgins? Um, so th- th- it makes sense to me that after what you've gone through, you would come out at the other end thinking, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I can't follow this path anymore because it has caused you so much heartache. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point that you made though. I I kind of forgot about that. And I used to think about that, about why do so many people follow these religions? And I think the lower socioeconomic thing has a lot to play in that. It, it helps people have hope in something. It gives people something to hope for in the future, even though it's not in this lifetime. And then that also has these other, let me use the example of like mega churches and these pastors that I think uh, prey on that insecurity of people that don't have much in their life. And, and they preach towards all these positive things that will happen to them, these promises of, of what's next in heaven if they do this and if they give them money and you know, all of these things. Right. Like, I think yeah. part of my security came or, or my peace, I think came when I was secure enough to say inside, um, I don't know if or what is after a human being dies and their heart stops beating. Maybe there's something else and maybe there's not. But am I secure that once I'm done with this life, that may be it. And I'm okay when my heart stops that I'm done. And I, I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Right. Because Create me and put me back into the earth to contribute some organic material. Yeah. No, I'm, I actually feel the exact same way. I think I'm going to enjoy and appreciate this life as much as possible because there is a huge 99.90, chance that this is it. So, you know, I'm taking, you know, sure. I'm taking that, but, but then again, I'm not living this horrific. I'm not bank robbing and molesting children and like, like burning houses. <laughs> down. I'm not starting forest fires in California. I'm just like, yeah, I'm trying to be the best person happened to be a homosexual, which has been, you know, part of history since the beginning of history. I mean, animals are homosexuals. I mean, look at lions. They love to bang each other. Those dudes are sh- rough. And 
So <laughs> like when we live here, like, yeah. So I've always thought that I've always thought maybe people need to, like you said, have that hope that, oh, this isn't it. Um, but if you go back to when religion first started, if you go back a couple thousand years, it's like these kings and these these people who, the Ottoman, the Romans, and they said, you know, do this and your life is trash. Look at you, you're bathing in the, bathing in the shitty water in the town square. But one day you're going to be in heaven. And so just let me be as rich as possible. And you'd think as time progressed and we as humans got smarter, we'd be like, oh, I'm onto your shit. I know what you're doing. Yeah. But no, no, because yeah. our brains are still very, our brains are still mushy where it's so easy for us to be manipulated into cult behavior. And like, look at the, look at the Trump phenomenon. They were just at his hospital. Like he's the leader of North Korea. I'm like, y'all crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> I don't get it. I can't, I don't get it either. Um, it's so bizarre. It. It's so, it's so bizarre to me. And um, but I want to thank you for coming on the show and sharing a lot of your history because I find it fascinating when somebody can go through that type of, because you, I don't know if you know this, but that is child abuse. What you and your sisters went through is a form of child abuse. Um, being indoctrinated. I've heard into, that before. Yeah. Have you heard that before? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It, because being indoctrinated into a religion and being told falsities, being told false information as a child, when you grow up and the adults hoping that you believe that, like, we're going to tell them this and we're going to tell them this and we hope they believe it. That is a form of abuse. So congratulations for surviving that. Well, thank you. Let, let me, let me say that I still think that I was brought up in a loving home. Um, and there were lots of struggles, but I do truly believe that my parents raised me the best that they, they thought it was the best that they could do. Um, that they wanted the best for me, but they did not. I think the real fault I have with it is they did not allow any uh, free form of free thought. You know, there was no questioning other ways of thinking. Um, that is the bad part. So I guess in my mind, I don't consider that an abuse, but maybe it's classified that way. So, well, that's kind of my thinking. And, and I, and I appreciate that. And I, and I, uh, and I'm impressed that that is how you have processed that in your brain. You know, I've done the same thing with my mother, Irene. She was a, not a very good mother. Like, uh, she should have never been a mother, but I'm glad she had me because if she didn't imagine you wouldn't be on this podcast talking to me, but, I know, <laughs> but you know, I, to now as an adult, I say to my mom, I say to myself, like Irene had a really, she, if there was a bad choice to be made, my mother made it. I always say like, if she was walking and she came to a fork in the road and one and to the left was Hurricane Katrina and to the right was a sunny beach. She would go towards Hurricane Sorry. Katrina. She just could not make a good decision. 
Um, it's so sad. It, so her poor, no, no, it's okay. I laugh about my mother all the time. It's called heal. <laughs> it's called how I heal. But I've always said that I've always said like, she loved me as much as she could. And that wasn't a lot because she didn't even love herself. And so I've created things in my mind too, to kind of just say, yeah, she was a terrible mother, but she did her best. Because if I don't, then I spend the rest of my life thinking, wow, that was a shitty fucking person. So I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Well, Jason, before I let you go, after I just ripped you apart like an onion and pulled all your secrets out of you, (laughs) we're going to play a round of let's get grounded. You pick a number between okay. you pick a number between one and one hundred. All right. Oh, do you want me to tell you? Oh yeah, yeah. No, you have to tell me. That's how the game plays. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I not go through the rules? Okay. You pick one to a hundred, and I'm gonna ask you the question that falls into that number. Thirty-six. Thirty-six. All right, where's thirty-six? Oh, this is a good one. I was just looking at this question. Besides your current citizenship, which I imagine is um, the United States, name another country you would like to call home and be a citizen of. Canada. Oh, all right. Do you know I just got dual citizenship? I am Canadian and American. I I'm, do know that. Yeah, I heard that yeah. on your podcast. It was very exciting. Thank you. I'm I'm by now, which I've always wanted to say. And um <laughs> and now I have so Canada. Well, it's a completely Can- different sense of the word. Yeah, now I'm by country, which sounds way more yeah. exciting than bisexual. Jason, thank you so much. Please let everyone know where they can follow you on Instagram and see some of your fantastic photographs you take or anywhere you, you house your photos. Um, yeah, it's on um, at Jason T, as in Paul, Dean. It's my, it's my full name, Jason P. Dean. Jason P. Dean on Instagram. Follow him, guys. He takes beautiful photos. And Jason, thank you again for coming on. I know I was just joking a few moments ago, but... You know, I find it brave. It's one of the bravest things for someone to come on a podcast and share their experience with other people who can connect with them. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for asking me. I was nervous, but it was it was really a, a good time and I appreciate talking to you. Was it cathartic? Was it like therapy? Should I send you a bell? <laughs> yes. Why not? I, yeah. <laughs> I'm sending you a bill, Jason. It was great. Thank you so much for being on the show. I need and... to set up some recurring appointments. <laughs> Listen, you could call me. Listen, I should start that, but I'm going back to school in January and I won't have time to help everyone else. But you have my phone number <laughs> and you can always text me. So thank you so much, Jason. I really appreciate you. Sounds great. Right. Thanks, Joe. Take care now. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Grounded with Joe Thomas, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram page at Grounded with Joe Thomas on, you guessed it, Instagram. Tell all your friends and we will see you next episode.